Welcome to the Positively Practical Podcast, an adventure in learning with me, Lydia Krupp. This podcast will focus on all the ideas, discussion topics, thoughts, learning opportunities that I come across in my current position in instructional technology. I've met this week's guest a little over two years ago at the Dallas Comic Book Club, and since then have talked to him about everything from, well, comic books to education, as he is a college instructor. So I was excited to hear his perspective of someone who, as someone who works in higher ed. Additionally, he chose to have his daughter learn from home this year rather than return to school. And so I had questions about that decision and how that's working out as well. So I hope you enjoy the episode this week with my friend, Josh Rose. Hi, my name is Josh Rose. Uh, I am a, uh, I'm a, a college instructor. I teach at uh, Brookhaven College uh, in North Dallas. Uh, I teach um, art history and art appreciation. And I've, I've been doing that uh, both as an adjunct and now as a full-time faculty member for almost 20 years now um, while doing other things as well professionally. But uh, also I am a parent of a, a teenager who goes to uh, Dallas ISE. So I've, I've kind of experienced both sides of, of this current situation. Yes, for sure. Um, right there with you. <laughs> <Because I think. laughs> Dallas too. So, um, all right. So think back so to another time before March of this year. Uh, before we went into lockdown and all that, how did you feel about online or distance learning or technology in the classroom? Yeah, I, it's such a good question. I've, um, I've, I think I've always been a little, well, a, I've always been very interested in both technology and online learning. Um, I, I taught my first online class back in, oh gosh, uh, two thousand four. I think. And so I've, I've been teaching sporadically online since then. So I've been, I've been doing it a long time and I designed my first online classes uh, around 2010. Um, but having said that, I think one of the issues that often comes up with online learning, distance learning is of course engagement. And I've faced that a lot um, over the past decade teaching online. Uh, and I think also just trying to keep up with all the technological changes is very, very difficult as an instructor. Um, uh, and uh, I'll probably get into that more later, uh, just about how the current situation and this current year with the pandemic has impacted my knowledge of things as well. But that said, I mean, I've, I've, I've long loved using technology in the classroom. I had a wildly successful experience uh, several years ago um, when I was teaching a class at UNT, University of North Texas, on surrealism. And there was a minor mishap where I had designed the class and had taught it before with a class of about 25 to 30 students. And the week before class began, my, uh, my chair came to me and said, we have made a horrible mistake. We put you in the wrong room by accident oh. and you, and you have a hundred students. Oh my goodness. And so just by, just by dint of 
necessity, I had to figure out a way to make this class, which was meant to be very interactive work. And the way that I did that was by using at the time a tool that is now sadly long gone, but it's called Google Wave. Okay. Do you remember that I at all? I did not remember that. It was an attempt by some people in Google's, I want to say Australian branch. Oh, I just made my, my phone go off. Um, in Google's Australian branch, uh, I'm making every device in, in my office go off right now, um, to uh, reinvent email. Sorry, and <laughs> there it goes. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Um, and so what it did, and the reason that I used it was because it it, it was both asynchronous and synchronous communication, right? So it, okay. um, you could, I mean, it, it's almost like what we expect from something like Slack or Microsoft Teams today with the way that it, it has that chat function. Wave was doing that back then. And again, th this would have been probably around 2010, 2011. Um, the reason that I loved it though, and for a class as big as mine, was the way that it, uh, allowed me to break them up into smaller groups. And it had this killer feature that I've never really seen anywhere else where it not only tracked who did what, but you could rewind oh. and see who had done what. And what was really cool about it, just as an instructor, was I basically had them functioning as mini surrealist groups, and they had to produce uh, group declarations. So they would create some things individually and some things as one document as a group. And it was the best group assignment I ever did because I could tell my students, I can go in literally and see who did what. Right. And right. so the students who were actively participating knew they would get credit for what they were doing. And the students who didn't wouldn't get as much. Right. And right. so it, it gave me that kind of granular level to go in and see who's actually participating here rather than, you know, the typical after effect of some people in the group kind of saying, well, so-and-so didn't do anything. And then you get into this, like, he said, she said situation. No, right. this technology just let me see exactly who did what. It was incredible. Wow, that does sound incredible. Did they, was Google, do you think, trying to replace it with something else or it just not everybody saw how cool it was? I think that, yeah, it kind of went into that Google graveyard. You know, they killed it. Mm -hmm. Some of the features I think later rolled into, so like the collaboration features in, um, Drive and Google right. Docs now, I think, is built off of some of that. But I've never seen that specific rewind feature replicated anywhere else. Well, man, that I mean, there may be a, a place for that now. That sounds really great because I was going to ask you about that engagement. And it sounds like you found a way to make sure kids understood they needed to engage in the learning because you could see it without you having to, yeah, hound them or anything. You know, nope, I can just hop right in there and see what's going on. Yeah. And it, and it did the thing that I often find so problematic with using technology in the classroom, which is uh, making sure that it conforms to the pedagogy and what is being taught. Yes. You know, yes. rather than yes. just, it's a cool new thing I want to try right. out. So, yes. And I, you've always understood that about me too, which I really appreciate whenever I get frustrated because I do instructional tech, but it's not tech for tech's sake. It's all founded in good pedagogy. So yes, I am glad you said that. It's not just, ooh, look shiny thing. It's, is it helping with the learning objective? Right. So it is important. 
Cool. Okay. So you've been doing this for a while then. And it's, it's interesting. You said you were doing your first online stuff in 2004. Cause I actually left under, I graduated from undergrad in 2003 and I had just taken my first couple of online courses in my last years there. So I think that's interesting to watch how far we've come. Right. Um, but yeah, so you already had sort of a handle on it. Did that make it easier when everybody did get sent home in the spring or were you still predominantly face to face? Um, I, I was still half and half in the spring. Okay. So the way that I typically set up, ideally my teaching schedules, I teach half in person, half online. Cause I, 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 you know, as much as I teach online, I love that, you know, in, in class energy, that kind of in class sure. environment. <clears throat> so it didn't impact me as much except when the summer and the fall rolled around and it was clear we were not going to be able to go back. Um, then I just, because of the way that my institution handled it, everything was online. So okay. I had to essentially default to just my online teaching for all my classes. And the thing that I realized was when we made the shift back in March, to some degree, it was easier for me and my students, because those that were already online already knew how the class was structured and set up. It was seamless for them. They had no idea. For my face-to-face -face students, we already had about a month and a half of in-class meetings, so we knew each other. So when we had a shift to online, I basically kept the same uh, synchronous time that we would meet. Um, I used Microsoft Teams to hold class sessions. But I recorded everything because I knew that their schedules were getting messed up as well. Sure. So if they if they couldn't make it to class, I I, I no longer, you know, docked them or, or or took attendance. I just said, okay, I will always post the recording up later, right? Um, so I, I I found a way to kind of accommodate the students in the moment, but also keep our normal schedule going as best as possible. Okay. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because that's something even uh, in public school, um, like pre-K-12 public school, teachers who already kind of had that culture of online learning, even if it was just, yes, I have a Google Classroom we use for certain things, it um, may, did make that transition easier because kids oh, good. knew where to, where to find stuff. Um, so it sounds like, so you've used Google, you've used, looks at like Microsoft Teams, does um, the Dallas, uh, oh, they're called Dallas Colleges now, right? That's correct. Yeah. Dallas, Dallas College. College. Yep. Dallas College. <laughs> They, um, do they require a particular platform or are you able to choose what works best for your students? <laughs> uh, officially, <laughs> officially, they do require okay. specific platforms. So our, our back end is Office 365. So, okay. you know, things like um, uh, Office Online, Microsoft Teams, um, our... LMS is Blackboard. Because I teach in the arts, although I'm not a studio art professor, I, my, my fellow faculty uh, I know struggled with particularly Teams um, because Teams seems to be built around, or at least their perception of it was, it's built around kind of video conferencing. And they desperately wanted to use Zoom because Zoom just worked much more seamlessly for them when they were doing online critique sessions with their right. stu studio art students, the way that it turned, it showed images better. Um, 
And our institution just kept telling them, you know, or all of us, no, 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 you can't use Zoom, right? And so it's, it, it, it is interesting that, and I think it's probably just, it comes down to the IT policy of, of mo- sure. you know, most schools, but uh, it, there is a sense that sometimes the tools were mandated to use are not the best tools to use, you know? Right. Oh, I totally get it. But what's what's so weird is as a parent, I see what what my daughter uses at DISD, where it's, you know, Google Classroom and Zoom. And, you know, I I know there's no perfect systems out there, but Google Classroom is great. I mean, personally, all the work I do on the back end is within Google Docs, right? So for me, switching to like Google Classroom would be so nice and so seamless, but I don't have that kind of, you know, say at, at my institution, so. Right, okay, well, and that actually is a great, yes, and I agree, and all my online classes I take um, for my studies are all through Blackboard as well. So I understand sometimes you gotta use what you gotta use uh, for sure, and there is that whole Security, privacy, all that stuff. So I understand. But yes, let's go ahead and transition. Um, since this is, we are going to get kind of to the heart of being a parent in this environment as well. So um, you chose to keep your daughter home, correct? What yeah. led to that? Yes, we did. And it was, um, it was a couple of things. One was that we were just worried about the, the pandemic. Um, at the, you know, just that was part of it. And also for better or for worse, our daughter seemed to take to distance learning pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty well. Right. She, she, um, now that is not to say she hasn't struggled. You know, I think every student has struggled in, in this environment, but we, we were able to find a kind of happy medium where we didn't make a, a learning pod necessarily, but she is a very good friend in her school and her grade. And so because we live nearby, we just traded off weeks where one would go to the other's house and vice versa. And so that at least kept her with a classmate in person each day to work together while both were remote. And uh, that that was a good, I, I think, a good solution both for us and for our daughter and for our friends and their daughter, you know, just knowing there was some engagement and interaction, but they could also help each other. I really do like that. And you, you're right. Some kids have really thrived in this virtual environment. Like they are just doing beautifully, um, you know, because uh, for whatever reason, they have more time to kind of collect their thoughts or they're responding differently or they can get stuff out of the way and move on to other things. They're not at the um, mercy of, you know, waiting on everyone to catch up or whatever. Uh, but I like that she had a buddy. So she wasn't isolated in terms of like some kids, they're at home and they start feeling very alone, you right. know, very lonely. But she had, she has a buddy. I, I kind of like that. And y'all can just, because then they're helping each other and the parents know, you know, to step in if they need to help. And I really like that a lot. Um, so is she, so she's going to, y'all are going to have her online the rest of the year then, or is there anything that might change your mind and send her back? I mean, I think the only thing that would change our mind is if if she got the vaccine, you know, sure. and, and all of us got the vaccine. But there, I think there's still so many variables and everything I'm hearing in the news is that won't, it won't be widely available till what, summer, maybe right. fall. So I, I, I would think that would be it. But 
she's also at a critical age. She's wrapping up eighth grade. So we're also looking at high schools and yep. starting all that. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, I mean, and you know, just, just to be frank, I totally recognize that we do not have it as, as hard as parents with younger children who I think need much more handholding for online learning and staying at home and things like that. Like we can just kind of let our daughter do her own thing, um, you know, for the most part and, and step in when she reaches out to us for help. Um, but uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, being on the cusp of high school, I think makes everything more complicated right now. Um, that said, I do want to applaud DISD. They have done an amazing job at holding uh, and being very proactive about publicizing and making available um, uh, virtual school visits for, uh, you know, eighth graders looking for high schools, uh, doing a lot of Zoom sessions, um, really engaging with the students that come to those Zoom sessions. I I've been very impressed with how they've been handling well, I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, you know, our sixth grader attended his first one a month or so ago. They were telling um, him, he, you know, his grade level needs to go ahead and start thinking about that, too, mm. because middle school flies by. Yes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, exactly. And you're right. Um, he got to pick, I think he had like six that he could choose from, and he could pick like four to go to. And since you could go at certain times, it was he was like one of just a handful of kids, so they were able to answer questions and um share that information and, and which is interesting because you know DISD has all these great opportunities leadership magnets and things like that and um normally you go to the big what gym at a school and you walk around and meet everybody and they just can't do that this year so it is a good thing that they're trying to get out there and, and make sure students know their options so I agree I think that is a good thing they're doing um and so that can be the glow if you want or if you have a different glow um, um do y'all use glow and grow probably not in higher ed I, these are new terms these are new terms okay. to me. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, i mean you can probably figure out what they stand for but um yeah a glow is when you're like doing something really well and then a grow is something that could be better um it's just kind of what's what we call them um so you're talking about the, the virtual visits for the high schools, but is there any other thing you think you can either choose district or the campus where your daughter attends school or a particular teacher that have done really well at this point in time? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I, I would say, I think, being very forthright with the, the, the need to make decisions, uh, you know, as everything has been changing rapidly uh, with the pandemic and how, you know, as cases increase or decrease that kind of ebb and flow understanding, you know, we might need to uh, shift this or that. But um, I think that's something they've done very, very well. I think just being very, very forthright with that sort of information, not, not keeping parents or students in the dark. Um, I guess one, one area of grow perhaps is, mm -hmm. and I, I, and I'm saying this realizing that I hope you have a lot to respond to what I'm about to say. I, <laughs> I say this as a parent, less as in, as a, uh, a teacher, I, I think having some consistency or a clearer way of 
letting students know who are doing remote learning what the expectations are. I, I really, and I've seen this not just with our daughter, but with a number of different, uh, uh, talking with other parents, just sometimes not knowing what your 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 students are supposed to do, and the students are like, "I thought I did that," you know, and 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 I, I and I don't know where that's getting lost in the mix. And I know as a teacher, sometimes in my brain, it's very clear to me, like what I expect of my students, but then sometimes sure. my students are a little confused, and you can get get into that weird murky space where if you start putting it in more and more places, then it, it actually becomes even more confusing. And I don't have an answer to that, but I'm curious what you think about that. Cause I, I feel that is a grow area, like just being a little more clear about what students need to do and the expectations of it and so on. Sure. Um, and you know, it's interesting cause I think with everyone I've talked to so far, um, communication has been the big thing. There are things that people are being really great about communicating. But then there's other things that they're like, I, I don't, I feel like there needs to be more clarity. The, the flip side of that, and it's something that our daughter's school and her teachers specifically are very adamant about. And it's something that I, as a college instructor, am adamant about. And that is the onus needs to be on the students sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Um, the, yeah. They need to be the ones con learning how to manage all this, uh, be it time management, be it just having developing a system to keep track of everything. And that's something that I, I think as parents, we've worked a little more directly with our daughter on rather than, you know, trying to find a way to like work the system or trying to give her the tools to develop her own skills mm -hmm. to do that. But it's very hard. And I say that as a college instructor, because when I teach dual credit classes in my institution oh, oh, yeah. or even get brand new students straight out of high school, they often do not have that skill. And the expectations are so night and day when they get to college where it's like, if you don't do the work, we're not going to let you make it up and you're just going to fail. Right. Like right. cut and dry. Like I have, you know, I don't have that exact statement in my syllabus, but it's, more slightly more nicely worded than that, right? So it, it can it can be a, an enormous culture shock for them when they get to the the collegiate level or you know higher ed. Um, so building those skills now, you know, is so critical. But it, it, it is a give and take. Like I also want to make sure that my daughter is doing what she needs to do. You know that kind of thing. So sure. Um, so so this is just kind of kind of diverting a bit here because you bring up a great point about his students having that skill set when they come to you um you work with your dual credit students which of course they're still in high school and then the kids so where do you think it should fit in a, like a pre-k-12 public school system for us to teach students that while still giving them those opportunities to make up work that we are told to do wow yeah so my oh god my my hot <laughs> my hot take is this and i know it's something that most of the K through 12 teachers I talked to would also, or I've heard support the same statement. So this is almost something that has to change on the state level. Mm -hmm. Students have to be allowed to fail. I, I hate to say it, but I feel like without having that critical bottom line function at the K through 12 level, um, they, and, and if I'm wrong about this, please correct me, but it, I, I'm saying this from the perception of a college instructor. 
I see increasingly students come into my classes who don't do the work and then just come to me with the expectation of you're going to let me make this up. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I have these three reasons. I will let any student make up work. And if it's not one of these three, then no. And they tend to be very surprised and sometimes put off by that because they think they've come through a teaching system where they're always allowed to make up work. And, mm -hmm. and I think without having that, that um, just that particular uh, sort of Damocles hanging over their head, they will, I think, often learn that they can kind of put stuff off or there's, there's always going to be the ability to make something up. And, sure. and, and, and that's not to say that I want students to fail. That is not the case, but if, if they don't have that kind of pressure of if I don't do the work or if I do it poorly and I fail, I, I, I need to work towards trying to do it right the first time. Or if I'm uncertain about how to do it, asking beforehand and more and more I'm seeing at, at the level of the students that I teach, I have to train them to do that. Sure. Right. Yeah. So. That is interesting. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I disagree. I think you're right. I think you've got, um, you've got a really good point there. Uh, it is weird though, right? Cause you're, you're right. We're not saying we want kids to fail, but that, that looming threat that I might fail is a very different feeling than like, I'll just wait till the day before grades are due and turn everything in. You yeah. know, it's a it's very, it's a different feeling. So that is a good point. Um, and I am glad that you're helping your daughter with that because that's the other thing too, is um, I don't know if most parents would know that that is a skill to help support their child with. Cause I know where my son, my middle school, my child is in a middle school. They put, I mean, that was part of their upfront at the beginning of the school year. Like, you know, we, he, uh, even one of his teachers, I know for a fact, put in his syllabus, if there's a problem, your parents are welcome to, to reach out to me, but I should have heard from you. First. Yep. Yeah. That is and, so good. <laughs> and to me, yeah. And to me that I was like, okay. Cause even as a mom, that is setting an expectation for me to know that if I have something I need to say, particularly to this teacher, and I just love this teacher. I think he's doing so many wonderful things this year, but um, I, I know I have to go to my son and say, all right, open up an email, send him one right now asking why this is this. And he's like, okay. And so he gets it first. And then I say, and you come tell me when you get a response. So it's forcing him to reach out. And I know I'm still having to prod him sometimes, but we are getting to a point where I can say, Hey, I got a notice about this assignment. Could you double check and see what's going on? And I, you know, come let me know in about five minutes. And he's like, sure. And so he'll send emails to himself now too. So okay. So then with your parent hat on, you can even think back into the spring when we all went on, you know, not a stay home or whatever, but what kind of support do you wish you had more of to continue to help your daughter be better academically? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, you know, it was, it was mainly like we were okay with rolling with the changes. Um, I do think it would have helped enormously if, and, and I don't know if this should have been done on the school level, if, if it was at the district level, uh, if there had been just some really brief tutorials on here is how you use Google Classroom, here is how you use Zoom. 
because, and I know we were all learning it on the go, right? Particularly last spring. Right. But, you know, since I don't use Google Classroom at my institution, and I think even for parents who are not in an academic environment, just knowing like, you know, and, and I know we don't have parent accounts, but just knowing this is what it should look like. So that way, when our child is there, like in the app or on their Chromebook, trying to figure stuff out, we would have a little bit of knowledge of, you know, because if she had a question about something, I would go in to try and help her. But the way that Google Drive is set up for a DISD student is different than the way that my personal one is set up. Yeah. And I... They look down. Right. Yeah. And so I would just be totally flummoxed. I'm like, wait, this doesn't, you should be able to do this, but it's not letting me, you know, that kind of thing. So I think just having like a, a very brief tutorial for parents to know, like, here's how you can help your child navigate these systems. And maybe they have that and I missed it because I think we were all just in a weird, you know, um, fog last spring, but, uh, right. Well, no, and I think it is important because that is something we had to work on in terms of logistics. Like, because in our district, we use two. So pre-K three was using Seesaw. They're using, which hmm. is the, the platform called Seesaw. And then four through 12 is using Google Classroom. So imagine you're a parent with- Oh, Google, right, right, yeah. So, yeah. so is, uh, do you, does uh, DISD have a whole bunch of logins though? Or is it just mostly- I know they go through clever, but I know one complaint we had in the spring was parents were like, there's too many places we have to go for things. Yeah. And yeah, so there was, there was clever, but then there was also the, the parent portal, mm -hmm. but also some of that had changed over the years. So like the old parent portal was replaced with a new parent portal. And it, yeah, it was just, it was very, it was just, it was very convoluted. And I don't think that was in, in any way DISD's fault. I think they suddenly realized that more and more parents were actively engaging with these tools. Mm -hmm. This is just my impression. You sure, probably have sure. the data to, to, <laughs> to either, you know, knock that down or back it up. But, um, yeah, I just, but it was very confusing. And there was actually, I, I vaguely remember, there was like a week or two in March when I couldn't get into the parent portal and I use a password manager. So it kept using the same password I always use. And I think I ultimately just had to reset my password to get in there because it just was not letting me in. And, but, but our daughter could get into her portal. I don't know. It was very weird. So yeah. I use a password manager too, because I do have a ton of accounts. And so I had the same thing happen. So I don't know if they like updated it or changed systems, but I do remember that too. Okay. So then, so yeah, so as a parent, those pieces of communication, um, but as an instructor, as an educator, what do you wish? And I know it is different in higher ed, but so maybe what, even if you are dealing with some of your friends whose kids are in DISC, like, what do you wish, what kind of support do you wish could be offered to parents other than just those logistical pieces to help them support their child academically? That is such a good question. Um, I, you know, I would say it's kind of what we talked about earlier with parents knowing that helping their child prepare for, for school or helping their child with schoolwork isn't just about helping them with, you know, algebra or history or English. It is about helping them develop the tools, the, the soft skills, mm -hmm. right? Mm 
So I, I, and I saw the same thing with our, our daughter's teachers who were, you know, saying you need to reach out to us before your parents do. Right. Because that is, that is a life skill, right? Our, our daughter would compose an email to her teacher and then read it back to us to make sure that it sounded good, that it sounded professional. Right. Right. And that is, that is a skill that will benefit her in college. It's a skill that will benefit her in the job market. Um, and knowing that that is a skill that DISD is promoting is great, but I think parents could use a bit more education about that, right? Parents know their kids best. So I think parents stepping in and saying, let's work on some study skills. Let's work on your time management. I think these are things, and I know I have a memory that DISD has held sessions on this before. Right. Well, sure. I'm sure they did. And I remember way back in the day when I was in high school, we had to take a study skills class. Like it was a half semester credit. Oh, you're so lucky. I, but, I never had that. Well, <laughs> you say that, but guess who tested out of it? Because she was in all GT and they nah. that meant she didn't need to know how to study. And then she got to college and realized, in fact, she needed to know how to study. So yeah. I do know it used to be part of the curriculum. I don't know anymore. Like, I don't know what the rules are on that. Yeah, I, I, I would just think having parent sessions with that would be helpful and not and not, I think, to say this, this is the way that you need to get your child to study. But I think encouraging parents to work with their child, with their children as individuals, right, knowing sure. what works best with them and developing those skills. I do agree with that because I know that some systems try to get kids like I I had to do this and it killed me because I hated it. But some systems try to get kids on like notebooks, right? And like yeah. tabs and you write everything in. And my brain just doesn't work that way. Um, I my, my notebook may have been a mess, but I could find you whatever I needed. And so um, you're right. It, it does help if parents understand better their kids thinking and says, well, maybe she doesn't need a notebook with dividers, but she knows that blue folder means English work yep. or green folder means math or whatever, you know, and helping students understand like my kid, this is the first year he's done an AB schedule. And so he has an A day backpack and a B day backpack. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. Ah. So that, yeah. And that way he knows which one he's grabbing for the day and the stuff he needs for that day. It's already in that bag. Yeah. Oh, that is such a good tip. Uh, this is all great. And I actually love what you said about bringing up those soft skills and stuff. That's a dimension I hadn't even thought of um, that I'm going to be adding to my learning coach stuff that I'm working on at work. Um, so what else would you like to share that maybe I have not asked you about? Well, you know, I, I just had another idea uh, for the, actually the last question. Um, I, I don't even know if this is possible, but it would be so helpful if for parents that request it, I, I think forcing this on parents would probably have a terrible effect, but for parents that request it, making ebook versions of the textbooks students are using available would be so helpful, right? Because yeah. there are times where you, you know, they have like one copy that they're using or just, you know, A for like backup purposes, particularly with online learning. Um, and B, just so parents can maybe look ahead or see exactly how I have struggled with new math. I don't understand oh, yeah. it. 
I find it very weird. I keep trying to show my daughter how to do things the way that I learned it. And then she rolls her eyes and I get like, okay, boomer, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So I think having those sorts of materials would be helpful for parents. Now, some parents will just be like, I have already learned all this. I don't need to relearn it. And that's totally fine. But I think for parents that request it, it would be really nice. Um, That is, that's a good idea. You're right. Cause I don't know what my kids textbooks look like because the ones that are physical, they're leaving, letting them keep at school. Um, and the ones that are digital, I don't have access to that. You're right. Yeah. So I don't, he could be seeing anything in those books. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I agree with you about new math. I, um, I just sit there and I, they seem to get it. So I go, okay, but just, they can't ask me for help because I cannot help them. So. <laughs> right. Yes. But Thank you very much, Josh, for letting me pick your brain about this. I'm so excited. Thank you for thinking of me. I am, I'm delighted to have participated. Well, thank you so much. And you have a great rest of your day. You too. Another week and another great interview. The thing that stood out to me the most was how can I help support learning coaches who are needing to help their students with time management and organization and communicating with the teacher. This is something I actually had not thought about because we take for granted when the kids are in school, they are communicating with the teacher. But when email is the way you get information to and from between teacher and student, how are we helping students with those skills? And really all students should be working on these skills so they can take that forth into um, the workforce, college, or whatever, wherever life takes them after they leave us. So I thank Josh for bringing that perspective. Thank you for continuing to join me as I explore the creation and sharing of this podcast. Feel free to check out my blog at positivelycroup.blogspot.com. That's positively, C-R-O-U-P-E, so positivelycroup.blogspot.com. Or feel free to connect on Twitter. My username is at educroup, E-D-U-C-R-O-U-P-E, at educroup. I look forward to connecting and hope you will join me again.